Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Welcome to the game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm here with the latest from a fascinating weekend in international football. Well, we'll do our best to make it sound like that. Please wish us luck. Helping me in this gargantuan task will be Tony Evans, Stuart Robson, and from the Midlands, it's Peter Lansley. Later, we'll be discussing EPPB. Know what it is? It's the future. But let's start with the present. England uh, uh, kicked off uh, their uh, World Cup qualifying campaign with what some unimaginative uh, tabloid editors might have described as a five-star performance uh, against uh, probably a negative five-star <laughs> opponent on the day in, uh, in Moldova. Um, I think we can all agree the job done and five goals are good for the goal difference and whatever. Um, Tony, what interests me is Roy Hodgson seemed to me to make made a conscious decision to play a lot of the older players uh, in this game. Um, I actually uh, did the stats. Of the starting 11, seven of the 11 had made their debuts for England in 2004 or earlier, including one Frank Lampard who actually made his debut in the last millennium, 1999. Um, while it would be nice to for him to go and play all the kids and the team of the future and blah, 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 we can't really fault him for getting that win in the bag, can we? Well, no, not at all. I think um, I think he picked the best players he has available, and I mean that's going to be the big issue as we move towards Brazil. I mean, the fact is, you can't see in two years' time uh, and being able to pick the likes of Lampard and Steven Gerrard. You know, it's uh, and you know, and the generation coming through behind them aren't that good. You know, it's a, you know, anyone who's thinking after that performance the other night that put the name on the cup in two years' time, you know, absolutely deluded. I mean, I think I think he he'll have to he'll have a lot of work to do to to get this team through out of the group. This squad, the squad he's going to have then, um, I, I just don't see players of the quality of the, the likes that England have had in the last five or six years uh, in the next five or six years. Well, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Who could? <clears throat> who can be some of those guys from the next five or six years. But, Stuart, two guys who, who were there, um, who will be presumably part of England's future, and who I thought, for them, it was almost like an audition, were uh, Cleverly and, uh, and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Mm. Um, your take them. 
Well, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I'm pleased he played rather than Theo Walcott because I think Oxlade-Chamberlain is an all-round player. And he's the one player, when you're playing against a team that are going to defend deeply, although they didn't defend well at all, Moldova, but you need players that can go past people. Defences are set up to cope with passing football. So then you need a player like Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think he was the only one in the side that could actually do that, was to go past people, get crosses in, play little one-twos and then make forward runs as well. So I think it's good to see him playing. I think he's going to be a great player for Arsenal and for England when he was playing for the under 21s week in week out whenever I saw him for the under 21s he was absolutely outstanding he provided crosses with both feet he could go past people so I think that's a positive Tom Cleverley I've seen him play out on the right the right hand side in central midfield I think he's got a lot of good attributes he's got plenty of energy uh, he'll, he'll get tackles in he's a decent passer he can run with the ball as well and he will get himself into the box I don't think he's a holding midfield but that's something we're probably going to talk about later I think he can be an all round midfield player which I think midfield player should be. You talk about the likes of, uh, of Michael Carrick, there's a player that's a, a good passer of the ball but he can't do the other sides of midfield play which is defend well and play with energy I also thought those two guys their decision making was particularly cleverly, really really impressive on Friday night. I thought when he got the ball cleverly, he instantly got the picture in his mind of this is plan A this is what I'll probably do. Whereas sometimes you get the impression with people like Theo Walcott that it's obviously plan A is use your pace but he goes up to a man and he's thinking what the hell's going to happen next and I think people like Cleverly, Oxley, Chamberlain they do have that in their locker and it's that's very promising also the fact that we're you know we might have seven of the older guys and that is both a damning and a reassuring stat because obviously they've got loads of experience to help us through now and it also means you're not throwing in four, five, six kids at one stage you've got a better chance of Cleverly and Oxlade uh, prospering if they've got Gerard and Lampard and people behind them. Don't, don't you worry about cleverly in terms of he's never going to play in that position for Man United. We you talked know, about this yeah, in we, the car, the drive over, didn't like, we, Tony? It's, it, it's, it's yeah. it, I mean, it seems like he's a square peg in a round hole. Well, and you know, is he going to develop in that role? What role is he going to play? Th- that's exactly that was that, that was, I mean, it, there was a criticism or something I didn't understand of Hudson. Mm-hmm. It was that though about about cleverly because if you look at the heat map on the night, and I appreciate it's Moldova, so England had the ball, and let's face it. Were pretty awful, but he was clearly playing ahead of Gerard and Lampard, and he's not going to be playing that position for Manchester United in the next two seasons because you know they've got. I think they have enough people to play in the hole with Kagawa and Rooney and whatever else, and England have enough people to play in the hole uh, going forward, whether it's Ashley Young or, or, or Rooney or, or whatever. So. If he's going to play in 2014, and you assume he will, you would probably think it would be one of the two in front of the back four. Um, or it's a, good, it's a good point, but I also think that it will give Cleverly more freedom at this early stage in his career. He's played so few games for Man United that to say to him, look, you don't have, any, you don't have many defensive responsibilities, or at least not in your own half, go and hassle the defenders higher up the field but it might just give him a bit of freedom while he beds in while he becomes more accustomed and and grows into a more all-rounded midfielder had it been against stronger opposition I think Roy Hodgson would have played cleverly deeper and 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 Gerrard would have played as the more attacking player for two reasons I'm not sure people trust Steven Gerrard as a defensive player Mm. because he he plays a little bit off the cuff and he would have had more uh, the ability to open up defences had it been against stronger opposition so I think they'd have swapped Gerrard and cleverly against better teams um, let's talk a little bit about that, that central you're just staying with that theme of the central midfield um, because 
the way I look at it now, and I'm not Nostradamus, but I kind of take it as read that Cleverly will start in central midfield for England in 2014 for the simple reason that things come in waves. It seems to be England in a situation right now where you have all these outstanding right backs, you've got a couple of very good left backs, and I think there's elite bodies who can play on the wing. When it comes to central midfield, um, especially, I know Stuart doesn't like labels, but, you know, actual proper central midfielders as opposed to people in the hole, it seems to me the cupboard is actually pretty bare for England right now, which is unusual because it's a, it's a position where, you know, England's in the past has developed a lot of very, very good players. But when you look at the fact that Carrick is going to be 33 uh, and obviously Jared's going to be 34, Lampard's going to be 36 in 2014, you go past that, you've you're basically operating with Jack Rodwell, who may or may not get playing time at Manchester City this year. Wilshire, who hasn't kicked the ball in, in 15 months. Um, Phil Jones, who seems to get injured all the time. Plus, we don't even know if he's going to be playing in central midfield. And you get into a world of Colbacks and Barclays. And, I mean, Lansley, I, have I missed somebody? Um, well, I'd like to... <laughs> You haven't, because although I'd like to throw in Josh McEachern, he, he just hasn't got a, a run at things yet. It seems to me that all the players who we want to, who have the technical ability to be succeeding, to be the next generation in central midfield, it looks like they get knackered or they don't get enough field time. Not because of a lack of quality. If you look at Wilshere, Rodwell, McEachern, that could actually be your midfield triangle, or even a couple of years on, Nat Chalabar, if he develops into a holding midfielder. But Wilshere went and played, what was it, 55 games or something for Arsenal before the England under-21s last Euros. And I think that's just too much for a player of, you know, where he was physically. Jack Rodwell, although he's got this big move, as you say, might not get the games for Man City. He's had real injury problems. Now McEachern's dropped out the under-21s again tonight. Let's just hope that at Middlesbrough he gets enough games. Because those guys have the talent. It's just like, they're, I don't know, are they too fragile? Well, we're, we're talking 2014, so we don't necessarily need to go and... I mean, the, the way I view somebody like, like McEachern is he's going to be, what, 21 in 2014? So, like, it's, you know, he's got mm. time. Is there somebody who we've missed, somebody who hasn't played much for England, who's maybe sort of 25, 26, but come 2014 might actually be useful as a specialist midfielder well, the is there player, a Danny Guthrie the, the player that, you, that? that has played for England many times and I don't think he's a, as a wide player but he can do the Milner is James going. Milner yeah. that, he's, the, he's the holding midfield player that can do the job because he has got that energy and he, he does pass it quite well and he can get around the pitch and he'll get tackles in I think he's a better central midfield player for England than say Gareth Barry's because Gareth Barry's not athletic enough you know, and, and as, you, as you saw as you saw when um, against Germany in, in 2010 and Barry's not going to get any more athletic as, uh, as time huh. goes on. Is this is this what the future holds, Tony? You're a big England fan. Um, <laughs> and a big Roy Hodgson fan, as everyone knows. But, <laughs> Milner um, cleverly? Well, you know, it, it could be worse. And, and the great thing about Hodgson is, he, you know, he can work with players. You know, he can get the best out of um, raw materials that don't look, you know, sort of outrageously promising. So, you know, I think he's actually the right man for the job, you know, at, mm-hmm. at this point. And, um, you know, it, it'll be team ethic. You know, there won't be any superstars. I mean, it'll be difficult, but yeah, I think that's where we're heading. I don't think James Milner's a holding midfielder player, Stuart. I, I, um, I think he's got too much dynamism that if you restricted him to trying to sit, 
and protect the likes of Wilshire, Gerard, whoever still playing then. Um, need, I think you need dynamism to be a, to be a I think a holding midfield player because fullbacks get forward so much in that these days. That's mm. what, that's what people ask the fullbacks to get forward. You have to cover a lot of ground as a holding midfield player. You've got to get in behind the fullbacks when they go forward. You've got to drop in between your centre halves when uh, the, the ball's in wide areas. You've got to go and press the ball if, if Roy Hodgson wants to press the ball. I think you need dynamism. And, that's and, why I don't like Gareth Barry as a holding midfield player. That's why I don't like Carrick as a holding midfield player because they can't run. And the thing is, they've got strength, as Gab said, out wide. So, you know, plays to the strength. I mean, when, when Milner's played out wide, I mean, I actually think he's done a pretty good job, but people have been disappointed with his production. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Stuart. I think moving them inside would be a, you know, would make he a big changed, difference. He changed from being a, 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 an average player to a good player at Aston Villa mm. when he went to central midfield. Yeah, Just before he true. left, he went in there and he played brilliantly for Aston Villa for but a while. But he was attacking Stuart from there, wasn't he? He was getting into yeah, the but box. he was what he was. Yes, but he was one of three, and I, yeah. you know, and and I always think that the three should rotate. Because it's harder to pick up if your three midfield players are rotating and they they keep changing positions. It's harder for the opposition to. And I think midfielders should be all round players. They shouldn't be a holding midfield, an attacking midfield player. They should have all round qualities. Um, we don't want to be too negative, so let's talk about some positives. Um, some reasons to be cheerful. Um, I think 2014, England will still go into the World Cup with an outstanding goalkeeper. Um, whether Ashley Cole's back or whether uh, it's Leighton Baines, they'll have a, a very good left back to go with, I think, a very good fullback too, whether it's Len Johnson maturing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential there. Centre half, we'll get to Terry in a minute, but the reality is I think there is depth there at centre half. Um, you know, you, you can go with Cahill or Lescott. And they're not going to embarrass you. There's some younger centre halves coming through. Um, up front, I'd cheer up by the fact that, you know, we take Wayne Rooney for granted. I, I don't know how many... I, I'm sure you guys all know this because you do this for a living, but the next goal that Wayne Rooney scores, he will be the fifth all-time leading goal scorer in the history of the England team. And he's 86 goals away from becoming the all-time leading goal scorer in the history of not some small piddling football club, but in the history of Manchester United. And he will probably break Bobby Charlton's record by before his 30th birthday. I just want to throw this out there. In the week that, you know, again, it's, oh, look, he's seven pounds overweight, blah, blah, blah. Like, you guys, meaning England, have something really, really special here. And... I find it, and sorry, I'm digressing into a mini rant. I flick on my TV yesterday and hear somebody talking about, will Rooney develop into this? Rooney doesn't need to develop. Rooney has developed. This is Wayne Rooney. He may not be Leo Messi, but he's, for my money, the best England striker I don't know, since before I was born. I, and I no disrespect to Gary Lineker and, and, and Alan Shearer, but Rooney's numbers are better than their numbers. Rooney's won more. Rooney's simply he's been... He's a better all-round footballer. He's a two. better footballer than those people. I, I know some old folks say, well, you, know, you have to go back to Jimmy Greaves if I find a bit. But fine. Jimmy Greaves, I didn't see the guy play. Maybe he was a lot better than, than Wayne Rooney. But I, I think this is the reality. Jimmy Greaves wasn't an all-round footballer. Well, there you go. <laughs> so how far back do you have to go to find an England striker that's better than, that's better than Wayne Rooney? Hmm. Better than this Wayne Rooney with all his failings. I think he's definitely got a fair way. I mean, you know, no one springs to mind, do they? Well, you're right. CD in that loft house? What? Well, how far back are we going to go? But I think now what, what Wayne Rooney is, is brilliant at doing, he's, his best attribute now is he's passing. 
you know, people talk about his goal scoring, which he's, he's got a good goal scoring record. They talk about him as a striker. But when he plays just off the main strike, his passing is as good as anybody's in, in the in the Premier League or anybody's in the country. When he's playing at his best and when he's athletic and when he's fully fit. And teamed up with a poacher, he'd be even better. Mm. You know, someone in, in the box mm. who we can play the ball in front of. You know, it's, it's it, that, that, that's the that's a, the big thing about Rooney. He's not he's not a centre forward as such, is he? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is a more all round player, and he's better when he drops off a bit deeper, and you know, and he works to to use the cliche between the lines, and you know, and sort of exploit space there. Peter, you're, you're the biggest England fan here. Does it does it bother you when people don't appreciate Wayne Rooney? No, I understand it. I mean, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we. I, I, tell you, I agree with everything the guys have, and you have just said. I think he's a fantastic all-round footballer. And he has that sort of—he has a vision for a, a short or a long pass that's just, you know, rare in English football. But um, but we haven't actually seen him at what we know he could be. So we're getting sort of seven and eight out of ten from Rooney, if we're lucky. And we just dream of what he could be if he was well, on nine or What do you think he could be? I mean, do you think he could be a Messi or a Cristiano? No, no, I don't think he's that. But I think you know, with the the uh, I hate to say bulldog, but you know what I mean, because he's got that sort of aggression and that sort of willingness to tackle and everything. In addition to this ingenuity, this goal scoring, and this great touch. So I really, I, I, I can't think of a better all-round England forward. Yeah, in my lifetime either. Um, but he could be even better. Um, one guy who will make headlines very soon is uh, Sean Terry, the, the former England captain. I, first, this business where he picked up an injury because he kept playing, and Roy Hodgson said, oh, it was great that he kept playing bulldog spirit, blah, 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 and now he's missing against Ukraine. I mean, sure, you, you, you've been there. When you... Is this something to be admired in a player when you're five nil up? Or I can understand it's a World Cup final, but, but know, it's hard for English but, people to understand but, a World Cup John, final. That's what John Terry lives on. He lives on the reputation of being a, a fighter and just the reputation, it's a reality. It, it, yeah, it? It, it, but I was saying he likes to. The injury may not have been quite as bad, but don't worry, I'll stay on because it builds up his his image as well. If you're injured with when you're winning by as many goals as England were winning, and there's 20 minutes to go, and yes, you've only got to, you'll only have 10 players on the field, he still might as well have come off. You know, there's there's and, and it wasn't going to harm the team, it wasn't going to harm the result, um, and it would be better if he had come off both for Chelsea and for for England. So there was there was no point in staying on really. Lansley, I think also it w- it um, would have been better for England tactically because I don't think they were going to let a goal in, and 10 men v 11 might have been better practice. I think uh, increasingly he seems to be slowing down a little bit. He's, he's getting caught under the ball more and more, and I think he's. Um, See, I, I, of all the players that we talk about, old players, John Terry would be the one I wouldn't keep because I think that he, again, to be a footballer, you still have to be athletic, and he's losing his athleticism. Mm. And if if you play John Terry in your England side or your Chelsea teams, it means you have to play one way, and that means you have to defend deeply. You can't yeah. press the ball, squeeze high up the field. AVB tried to do it, and John Terry didn't want to do it, and that caused AVB a massive problem. We saw Ibrahimovic beat John Terry over, yeah. over 15 years, and John Terry fell on the ground, and he did it recently in in a game that I was watching against Reading where he, he couldn't run 
and he actually fell over trying to run. And, and the other interesting thing the other night is Hudson played him on the right, which I think tells you the way things are going. You know, he's more comfortable on the left, and um, I think it's one of those situations where he's 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 holding back David Luiz a, a little bit mm. because he's more comfortable on the left. I think at Chelsea we'll see that happening as well. I think we'll see less Terry, and I think um, I think that, that this is a problem that will just naturally fade away for Hudson over the course of next year. And is the quality good enough below? Are we happy with, you know, Cahill, Phil Jones, Smalling? I, I love Smalling if he's fit. I, I think Smalling... Smalling can be a, a top-class player. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, I wouldn't be happy with Phil Jones. I think, you know, it's, um, I mean, I, I, I don't think Phil Jones is physical enough and or has the intelligence to play. Phil, Phil Jones was found out against Newcastle last season mm. when they... And, and, that, and Alex Ferguson's got a real problem when mm. Phil Jones comes back because I think it was Barr and Cissé played up front. It might be an Amiobi, I think, and, yeah. and Cissé played up front or Barr. And he lost every ball in the air. He was absolutely murdered in the air. And once teams see that, we saw Fellaini do it against uh, um, Carrick mm. f- uh, for Manchester United when he played at centre. Once you've got a weakness, and yeah. Phil Jones has a weakness in the air, teams will expose it. Where can Phil Jones play then? Well, I, that's a big question because he's not he's not fullback, he's not centre half, and I don't think he's uh, tactically astute enough mm. and mobile enough to play in the midfield. Is he even skillful enough to play? In yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for all his undoubted qualities, he might be a fall between the gaps player we used to call them utility players well there, are, there have been small players that have done well but they had to they had to work at their game in the air like Colin Todd was a, I see Phil Jones as a, as a Colin Todd but going back a long long time but he has to read Phil the, Jones yeah, thanks you for that yeah, if, if you're not if you're not good not big then you have to be really quick and you have to be a great reader of the situation and that's what Phil Jones has got to work at mm. the reading of situations Todd was just a great player though wasn't he he's a fantastic player um, you're listening to the Colin Todd Appreciation <laughs> Hour. Uh, Lansley, uh, England, uh, of course, having gotten their three points against Moldova, now they need to get three points against Ukraine to be sort of happy until mid-October when they play again. Um, your thoughts on this, given that England already played Ukraine, of course, at the uh, Euros? Um, well, I think England, after that good start, will go in very good fettle, even with a lower crowd. Wembley seems um, like a good home for them. Makes I think it'll be a very positive ambience about the team. Um, Ukraine had the, even even with that narrow victory in the summer, Ukraine had home advantage. They had the Shevchenko factor and everything coming off the bench. So I think... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. England should be comfortable. <gasps> comfortable win for England, gentlemen. You guys on board? I like positive ambience. I think that's a great phrase. It's, um, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it'll be a doddle for them. England have to start well. If they start well, it will be a doddle for them. If they play at high tempo and they pass with penetration early on, if they pass square and pass and try and be too patient, that's when it's going to be difficult. All right, well, we touched upon um, the next generation of England players and what will be a big part of it, maybe not for 2014, but going forward, is this new elite player performance plan. Um, what's the elite player, elite player performance plan? Well, here's Peter Lansley with a 30-second capsule. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... I mean, the headline when it was being introduced was that, you know, the best clubs are going to be able to nab the best youngsters for set fees all around the country. And Crystal Palace and crew are going to be very angry. Absolutely. But I think more important than that is that for the good of the elite, the elite end of the game and hopefully the England team, we're going to be creating more time for young players to play and be coached in a high-quality environment by high-quality coaches. So that 16-year-olds, for example, might... If they're, at a, if they're at the best academies, the Category 1 academies might have 16 hours of football or um, football preparation a week. They'll have their schooling inside the academy of a very high standard that they have to keep up with for their level and that therefore they can put much more time, maybe not 10,000 hours by the time they're 21, but enough... Oh, bit of a Syed reference there. <laughs> but enough to, um, to improve the technical level of our young players. All right, well, let's take this bit by bit. I want to start with something you said there about they're going to have rigorous schooling within the academy. And one issue we've talked about before is my view here as a foreigner, I'm always kind of struck by the fact that when I look at English players, with the exception of footballers whose parents were professional footballers, um, there's very few of them who come from middle class backgrounds. They all seem to be. In fact, Stuart, you're probably the most middle class that yeah, it, it gets. Uh, <laughs> I did go to private school, yes. <laughs> they, 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 they all seem to come from working class backgrounds. And what that means is that there's a chunk of the population who, you know, don't don't get channeled or historically haven't been channeled into football. And so the, the pool of talent for England is smaller than, than it is in other countries like Germany or Spain or Italy where really people from all walks of life and all socioeconomic backgrounds tend to become, um, uh, tend to become professional footballers. Now, it's my understanding that this having the rigorous schooling 
is a way of also attracting more middle class kids and upper middle class kids whose parents might be like, well, you know, the odds of making it as a professional footballer are pretty slim, but I don't, you know, I want little Johnny to be able to then go on to university or whatever else if he doesn't make it. Is, is that the thinking, Lansley? Uh, well, from I don't know about um, pulling in more middle class kids. I don't, I, I'm not sure if that's true or not. That would be a good survey, good piece to do, actually. But, but I, don't, the, I, don't, I don't think that's the reason why they do it. They they, no. they have to be seen to give kids because most because was it 95 percent don't become professional footballers, so they have to be seen to be giving them some sort of education so they can go on go and find a job somewhere else if they don't make it at football. That's that's the whole point of the of the education. And let me tell you, and I've been part of academies for quite some while before I started working in the press. The, the level of, of education is poor. They play at it. They, they really do play at it. The, the, the education uh, of the players, I mean, they come out with a, with a very poor qualification at the end of it. Yeah, well, it's shown lip service, isn't it? You know, I mean, football clubs are not the places where you're going to be educated. They don't care really. They want you to perform on the pitch, yeah. and you know what? And they'll do anything they can get. They can wring anything out of you, and when they finish with you, they'll discard you. But you know, in these politically correct times, you dress it up. You say we're educating them as well, honest. And um, you know, I, I mean, essentially, this is is the big clubs get the players they want, mm. and they get the kids they want, and when the when they finish with them, they'll dump them off. Lansley, I think that's traditionally been the case. I'd agree with that. But the thing is, there's an independent auditing system going on at the 23 Category 1 clubs now. They've got through, I think it's 15, and they're working their way through it. Now, in order to get the investment that the the different parties, including the Premier League, give to the clubs, you have to meet certain standards. So if you're paying lip service, then this company, Footpass, will go in there and they will say... what's it called? Footpass. Footpass? It's an independent company, and they worked in Germany to uh, their standards of academies. And they will go in, there's an independent auditing, they've got some very big, intelligent football people working in these. And if you're not meeting the standards, then you lose your Category 1 next year. You lose your funding, you play at a lower level, and you will get hit. Now, I'm not saying every kid's got to come out with eight A's at GCSE, as my Tom just has done, actually, I should mention. Um, but he should be reaching his level and being stretched. They will liaise with the schools that they've come from to make sure that they are achieving what they would have been done, doing without the football. That might not say a lot com- compared with some of the footballers where they come from. They, you know, they won't. They won't be. A, a lot of them don't achieve very much in their schools anyway. And, mm. and, and playing football is a, is a way of getting away from their education at times. I know, but, but now there's greater incentives, Stuart, isn't it? Because they go back. I was. At, I spent a couple of days at Villa last year, and they go back into the classroom. After to lunch and they know they've got another football session coming up at three o'clock so at 1 30 they have to get through you know individualized education plans they have to reach this point and there were two kids who didn't go back out at three o'clock for their football because they hadn't reached where they were meant to get to well so if they're not going back out for their football then they're not getting their football training i know so there's the incentive for them to work yeah this is kind of i guess my issue and you can't really get away from it is I mean, we all know footballers. Um, I can think of two current Premier League footballers who I think are just so stupid and so uneducated. Uh, One's a good person. One's a very bad person, in my opinion. Um, But the reality is I don't think these people could do, 
you know, the, 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 the coursework of a 14-year-old. In fact, one of them, I suspect, I'm not sure he can read. And yet, they are successful footballers who contribute to their club, contribute to the economy, pay taxes. Um, is there also an argument that you might lose people like this if you – I mean, I know it's a bit of a catch-22 because Tony's saying, oh, well, academically, it's not going to be rigorous. If you do make it rigorous, aren't you going to maybe lose some people who actually happen to have their talent not in their brains but in their feet? Let's, let's cut, cut through the ball. This is the bureaucratization of, of, of the game to give the illusion of movement and the illusion of decency. You know what? It's a pile of crap. I'd tell you, when I went to, to Arsenal as a, as a 16-year-old, I came from a, a private school, and part of the, the deal that Arsenal made with my family was that they were going to send me to Highgate School for evening lessons, Highgate Private School. How many times did I go? Once. Because I got in the first team at 17, never had any more time to do it. Mm. But Sorry, wait, you didn't go to school? You so I, I went to school up to 16. I left at 16 to, go and pl- to, to join Arsenal. And they said they were going to give me private, edu- private tuition to, to get right. A-levels at Highgate School. I got in the first team. Suddenly we were playing twice a week. I was travelling here, there and I couldn't fit the time with the, with the tutor. I was I was travelling here, there, and everywhere. We were staying in hotels. Okay, all right. child actors, Stuart, have private tutors who who, who follow them around. I oh, follow them around. They weren't going to follow me. I had to keep going. You should have negotiated that with Arsenal. <laughs> so it, I went once, and fortunately, I got in the first team and, and made a career of it. But you know that but was Stuart, that was what GCSEs or what GCSE GCEs did you get? I bet they were decent. They were fairly decent. Yeah, I got yeah. So at least you had a grounding. At least you'd know how to fill a tax form in or write a, you know, a job application or whatever. And I think with the, the teenagers, you know, the sort of 12 to 16 bracket, they're not, it's rigorous, own, you know, if it works, if it's only just come in, if the EPPP works educationally, it isn't saying, you know, a low academic lad has to suddenly be a genius to be allowed to play football. It isn't that, it's to reach his level. When I hear words like modules, strategic, quality assurance, you just know it's a pile of crap. You know what? The, the bottom line is kids are happiest when they're at home with, with, with people around them. And, you know, in an ideal world, I mean, remember, it wasn't so long ago they brought in this 90-minute rule. You couldn't recruit kids who had to travel more than 90 minutes. What this is about... Each way. Yeah, it, 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 it's about getting the big clubs can take anyone they like. And you know what? And you dress it up. Right. You and dress Tony, it up with a bit of love. And Tony, the biggest issue, it says here, right at the top, create more time for players to play and be coached at football clubs. Well, from my experience of academies and the coaches, the coaching isn't good enough to, yeah. to warrant yeah. that these players go there for long enough. Yeah. The but coaching in this country, and it comes down to the, 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 the coach education system, isn't good enough. And it hasn't been for many, many years. That's and the right. people and we put in charge... we're char- up to now, Stuart. That's the point we're at now. But the people they put in charge of these things aren't good enough coaches to inspire the next range of good coaches. Just as, as, as an aside, Stuart, I think there are some imaginative British coaches as well. I mean, Sean O'Driscoll comes to mind. Um, Brendan Rodgers, whatever else you think they're, of him. They're, they're not and working like, with the kids. No, but but they were they're a product of the, but but they're they're a product of British coaching. So it stands to reason. First of all, they, they used to work with kids, both of them, but they are products of English of English coach. Eddie Howe, I know, gets good reviews. I mean, 
surely there are some who are, who are you know, it can't all be horrid. But um, to wrap this up, what I suggest is, since Tony is so skeptical of the, of the, uh, the coaching module, I'm going to be so bold that if anybody at the Premier League is listening to this, if, if, if they agree and if Tony agrees, I think they should invite Tony along to a coaching module, something like this. You, you, you did some coaching when you were younger and refereeing. Yes, yeah. There you go. And maybe you can get some nice piece out of comparing what kind of stuff you did in your coaching and what you were taught when you became a coach, what, 20 years ago? 20 years ago, yeah. Versus what they're doing today, what's different and what's better? I taught them how to play the offside trap and how to foul people. Yeah. <laughs> All right, time now for some quick hits, and uh, we're going to start on a, on a serious note. Uh, Tony, you had a powerful column in the game Monday, previewing the fact that Wednesday's likely to bring new and uncomfortable revelations from the Hillsborough Independent panel. Uh, some might say actually confirmation of what's been suspected for a while. Uh, what should we expect? Um, I'd expect uh, to be uh, to be pretty harsh on the South Yorkshire Police um, and the, the the failures to uh, of the procedures and the failure to protect people on the day. I think they'll be pretty harsh on the West Midlands Police for what was effectively a cover up, uh, bullying junior officers to change the statements. I think for a lot of people, I, I, I think it'll be it'll be a bit shocking. I think that they'll see that from the very highest levels of British government, there was an orchestrated cover. Up, and um, and you know this this was the, the, one of the biggest disasters in British history. And I think I think people will be shocked because I think people have become complacent about it uh, over the years. And um, and and I think it's uh, there's going to be stuff in there that will be absolutely appalling. And uh, you know it may well be that uh, David Cameron will at the very least express regret and quite possibly apologise. Given statutes of limitations, we don't expect new prosecutions or anything, do we? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've gone way beyond the prosecutions. I think what I think people who were there and who have fought for for so long, I think they just want people to accept responsibility for what they did and and their actions, which you know has caused so much pain and distress. I think they I think they also want it to be made clear that. And, and and basically out the people who lied and have exacerbated the situation. Um, I mean, it'd be nice if it was all over. It'd be nice if if finally, the, you know. So the, the the mad thing is, the Hillsborough was probably the most witnessed disaster in British history. There were fifty thousand people in the grounds who saw it unfold. Uh, there were there were millions of people on television who saw it, and yet it's the most misunderstood event probably in the. In, the, in in recent British history and um, you know it, it'd be nice if people understand it and it'd be nice if people would stop saying to me just admit it you killed your own fans It's been an ugly start of the season for Aston Villa uh, Peter what's Paul Lambert doing right and what does he need to do better? There's cautious optimism, I think, around at Villa Park. Um, what's been good is um, it's refreshing that they've been uh, buying players in that aren't necessarily so predictable. Um, there's a, a slight hint of a modernisation of the style, building on um, what Villa fans perceived as a, a you know, right backward step under Alex McLeish. Um, what he could do better... Well, also he's done well is... Um, what he's also done well is with the big decisions. If he needed to drop Shea Given, he did. If he needed 
done and Collins to leave the team. He dealt with that. Basically, I think it's early days and um, we need to see whether his lower division signings can jump up as, you know, for example, Martin O'Neill's lower division signings used to. But that was a generation ago. Can it still work? Time will tell. I'm entirely sure um, you needed to get Ron Flaar, possibly the least Dutch central defender in the history of Dutch football. But hey. Michael Owen has a new home and it's at or near the Britannia. Um, Stuart, is this a smart pickup for Tony Pulis? Oh, and uh, while you're on the subject of Stoke Strikers, can you tell me what happened to Kenwyn Jones? Um, well, I'll start with uh, Michael Owen. Probably six years ago, I thought uh, that he wasn't worth his place at, uh, for England because he'd lost his pace and he'd lost his enthusiasm. Uh, and nothing's changed my mind. I'm sure he's been paid quite a decent sum of money at Stoke. I certainly wouldn't have taken him because I think you want players that have got enthusiasm and energy and, and, and effort. And I don't think Michael Owen has shown any of that uh, while he was at Newcastle uh, or at Manchester United. And Kenwin Jones, that's a myth because when he went to Stoke, I thought he was going to be the ideal player for him. He had pace, he could win balls in the air, everything that, that Stoke would want in a centre-forward. But it just hasn't worked out for him. And Tony Pulis seems to do that with some players. Some players he likes and plays week in, week out. Other players go there, like uh, Michael Tong went there, didn't he? And never played a game for them, or hardly played a game for them. And the same is going to happen with Cameron and Jerome, and the same has happened to Kenwin Jones. A bit sad. I kind of like big Kenwin. Uh, Tony, we've not had you on since Liverpool ended their transfer window by selling Andy Carroll and replacing him with, well, nobody. Uh, John W. Henry also issued an open letter admitting that mistakes had been made in the past, but uh, pointing out that at least they were never going to leave the club in the precarious position that they'd uh, founded in under the cuddly uh, Hicks and Gillette. Um, your take? Well, and I mean, uh, Fenway Sports Group have taken a lot of stick over this, but I don't believe this was a situation of their making. Um, I think it, it happened at Anfield. I think there was um, there was a bit of brinkmanship. Um, a, a manager who wanted a player that the, the ownership weren't keen on him getting, who so he, he pushed it right to the end, and it's all gone wrong. Um, I think it's personally, I think it's a massive mistake sending out Carroll on loan. Um, you know, the, he was a plan B. If if nothing else, um, and I think the, what the open letter as well is. I think there was great concerns among the Liverpool fan base that all the players leaving, and you know, sort of the wage bill getting cut, was is sort of a precursor to a sale. You know, stripping down the the, the business to sell it. And but I don't think I don't think that's on the cards. I, I, there was money available, and the worst thing about deadline day is that there was money in the Anfield transfer kitty, and it went unspent. Maybe they need Christian Perslow back? <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's, let's get him on the phone. <laughs> Tottenham spent £12 million on Hugo Lloris, the France captain. Uh, Lansley, given that they already have a fairly useful keeper in Brad Friedel, who happens to be one year away from retirement, was this such a wise move? And, or should they at least have let Friedel know so that perhaps he could have found himself another club? Well, I don't think it was a wise move, and it makes you wonder whether, I mean, since AVB has come out and said that Brad Friedel's going to be his first choice for the time being, it makes you wonder whether uh, Loris was perhaps Daniel Levy's choice. I don't know. Um, if Friedel's to stay as first choice, and let's face it, he's almost flawless, he's so consistent, hasn't missed a game for 79 years or whatever, then perhaps they should have signed Loris in January or let him know what was happening, loaned him back, 
we'll, we'll see you next summer. I don't think it's been very sensible, and it will be very difficult to keep them both happy. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, the, the obvious thing was that my understanding was that they, they were going to take Lloris for next season, and why they didn't sign him and loan him back somewhere um, mm. seems insane to me. Marwan Fellaini has hinted that he's ready for a move to a different, presumably bigger club. Uh, Stuart, play Super Scout. Which club do you see him fitting in and why? I think he can fit into almost any team. I, when I was watching Arsenal, I used to say he'd be the ideal midfield player for Arsenal because he can do all things midfield players should do. He can press the ball when he needs to. He can defend balls in his box. He, he might can... accidentally step on Santi Casorla, though. <laughs> yeah, of course he might. He can win balls in the air. And he's, a, he's, a, he's not going to hit penetrative passes, but he's a good passer of the ball. He can play for Chelsea in one of their holding midfield roles. He can play as... A, a, you know, you could, when you play in a rotating three in central midfield, Fellaini can play in any one of the three positions. And I think, and I have thought for the last two years, he's an outstanding player that if he just gets his head right and, and, and performs consistently, he can be one of the top players in the world. Wow. How do you praise? No, Gabriel, there's one for you. Louis van Aert, back in charge of Holland. What did you make of the performance against Turkey? Well, he's typical Van House staff, right? Because he, uh, he goes and he basically got rid of his entire defence and midfield and replaced them with, uh, you know, with, with a bunch of guys who, I mean, with some exceptions like Strootman or whatever, um, really hadn't played much before. Jetro Willems, who was 17, was terrible at the Euros. Uh, shocked everybody again. Everybody assumed Huntelaar was going to start in place of Van Persie. No, take that. There goes Robin. But Turkey battered them. It was it was kind of surreal because it was almost like it was almost like the game was in Turkey, even though it was at the Amsterdam Arena. They had tremendous support, um, and you know Van Persie scored a really nice goal, and then they got a second late, late on. But I thought they were very lucky, and I think it's pretty clear that Van House still has got work to do. Um, I don't know if it'll succeed or not, but it'll certainly be entertaining. So we've got time for this week. It's been fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, remember, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. Um, you'll find some excellent columns, some of them uh, by, uh, by, by Tony and myself, Ollie Kay. Uh, you know us all. You'll find our web chats. I'm doing my web chat on Tuesday. So drop by and say hello. Till next time. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.